Well, for the last six months now, we have been slowly but surely working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' stunning vision for the kind of life that is possible in his kingdom for those who willingly choose to live under the rule and reign of God. As we've been seeing, he paints this picture that is every bit as beautiful as it is deeply challenging. It really is this astonishing set of teaching and really even after 27 sermons now it feels as though we are barely doing it justice. However that being said the problem with working through it so slowly is we could perhaps get a little bit lost in all the detail and miss the overarching thrust of all that Jesus is teaching here. And so helpfully, as we approach the end, Jesus gives us a little bit of a summary statement in Matthew 7 verse 12 of all that he has taught thus far. Just to set it in a bit of its context, if you remember from last time, we, we saw, didn't we, how the Father views us as his dearly loved children. and. His goodness, his generosity flows out in giving good gifts to us whenever we ask. And then straight on the back of that, Jesus goes on to say, so, in light of what I've just been saying, so in everything, which in the original Greek means in everything, so in everything due to others. Now, two different words for others that Jesus could have used here. One is the word for brother or sister or family member or tribe. The, the other one includes all people or all of humanity. And interestingly, it's this latter word that Jesus chooses to use here. So due to all people, what you would have them do to you. Here are a few other ways of putting it. Whatever you wish that others would do for you, do for them. Or the way you want people to treat you is the way you should treat them. Or ask yourself what you would want people to do for you then grab the initiative and go and do it for them. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? No matter the person or the situation, a general rule for how to relate to other people is just stop for a moment, visualize what life is like for them. Imagine how you would want to be treated if you were them and then simply go and do that. Jesus concludes by adding, for this sums up the law and the prophets could be translated this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets or this is what much of the bible is about or add up god's law and the prophets and this is what you get now if you're new to the bible and you're kind of scratching your head and you're wondering what the law and the prophets is referring to it was the standard first century jewish shorthand for the bible of the day so Matthew 7 verse 12 is kind of Jesus' one-line summary, not just 
of the Sermon on the Mount, but actually of the entire Old Testament. And it's arguably the most famous of all the teachings of Jesus. It's become known as the Golden Rule. Now, before we dig a little deeper into all of this, I should probably just point out that the Golden Rule isn't actually the only rule to live by. Over the years, a couple of other rules have been floated. First up is the Wooden Rule, which is do to others what they do to you. It's this kind of tit-for-tat approach to relationships, which incidentally isn't only negative. It's just as likely to be positive. You compliment me, I compliment you back. You invite me over for a meal, I'll invite you back for a meal. But you criticise me and I'll gossip about you behind your back. You make a negative comment to me, I'm passive-aggressive. You push me, I punch you in the face. This is the vicious cycle, isn't it, that humanity is still locked in, and it's really the lowest level of maturity. It's the behaviour of toddlers. Yet sadly, many people never rise above this level of maturity. You see people, don't you, who are 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, even into their 80s and 90s, and they're still emotionally and relationally stuck in these unhealthy and toxic patterns of reactivity and revenge. And if you don't believe me, just do a quick trawl of Twitter or your social media platform of choice. So that's the wooden rule. And a lot of people are slaves to that whole way of behaving. Then you have the silver rule, which is don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. If you like, this is the negative version of Jesus saying here. Now, it's a giant leap forward from merely seeking revenge, and don't hear me wrong, I'm all for it, but there is still a very big difference between not doing something to cause suffering and doing something to alleviate suffering. Do no harm is a brilliant idea, but it's not the same as love your enemy. Don't oppress the poor is a great place to start, but do justice for the poor is a whole other level. And so the silver rule is great, but it doesn't get you to the place of love. For that, you need to climb the heights of what's been called the Everest of ethical teaching. You need the golden rule, the positive form. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Now, as far as we can tell, this teaching from Jesus here was brand new. Nobody had ever said anything quite like it before. It was way ahead of its time. And I'd argue still is. It's like love, even in our culture, has not really grasped the depth of what Jesus is saying here. It's kind of devolved into tolerance, hasn't it? So most of us think of love as simply not judging others. If it makes you happy, then, then go ahead. Who am I to judge? 
unless of course you cross the line of what culture views as acceptable and then you'll find there is still quite a lot of intolerance around but my point is simply that this is still silver level maturity however for jesus love is less of a feeling and more of an action it's something you do notice he doesn't say feel towards others how you would want them to feel towards you and there's a reason why that's not a famous saying and it comes down to the fact that you don't always have control over your feelings you can influence your feelings you can do things to affect the way you feel but you can't control how you feel about someone else but you can control what you do or don't do to someone what you say or don't say in the heat of the moment what you share or don't share which is why if you define love as a feeling then sooner or later you find yourselves getting into a bit of trouble you see it's way too shallow and flimsy a definition of love for jesus genuine love involves putting another person's well-being and happiness ahead of your own to actively seek the well-being of someone else even if it comes at great cost to you and it's something you do with your mind and with your body with your mouth with your life with your money with your time do to others what you would have them do to you take the initiative get out there get involved inconvenience yourself put someone else's worth someone else's value someone else's happiness ahead of your own he's encouraging us to think about them in a thoughtful way he's wanting us to slow down long enough to get into their life to think about how you would want to be loved if you were in their situation and then come up with small creative acts of concrete ordinary normal humble love towards them i think that's what jesus is pointing us towards here you see how radical it is so three rules the wooden rule do to others what they do to you the silver rule don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you and then the golden rule do to others what you want them to do to you the question is which rule are you living by which one of these is the default setting of your life let's think for a moment about your relationships in your family in your school in your place of work in your street can you imagine if we were to live by the golden rule let's say for example you're arguing with your spouse they're venting at you and as you're prepping your arsenal for a preemptive nuclear strike you just have the saying of jesus come to your mind do to others what you would have them do to you what if in that moment 
instead of continuing the argument, you took a deep breath and invited the Holy Spirit to help you and took another deep breath and went for a walk if need be, but then resolved to bless and not curse, to accept responsibility and apologize. Can you imagine what that would do to shift the relationship in that moment? Or you're at work and a coworker does something hurtful or harmful to your reputation. And again, as you're prepping your defense, what if before you sent the email, before you started a whispering campaign, before you lashed out, you invited the Holy Spirit to help you do to others what you'd want them to do to you? What if you step back and try to see behind their actions to the hurt and the pain that's perhaps driving it? Rather than taking matters into your own hands and defending yourself to the hilt, what if you were to entrust your whole future career as well as your reputation to God? Don't hear me wrong. It doesn't mean you become a doormat or never speak up for yourself. But what if you sought to bless instead of curse, to let your actions speak louder than your words? You see what I'm getting at here? Now look, if truth be told, most of us already know the golden rule, don't we? The thought of doing to others what you'd have them do to you, well, that's not a new idea for us. Whether or not you grew up in a church background, you're probably familiar with this saying. And I'm guessing that probably you think it sounds pretty inspiring and like the kind of thing we should be trying to do. The danger is, though, familiarity breeds apathy. We just get used to it. And we forget just how devastating what Jesus is asking of us actually is. As nice as this saying sounds, we must not grow numb to how challenging it is to the way we relate to others. And so I want to appeal to you. I want to appeal to you not to allow apathy to rob you of the power of applying this message in day-to-day -day life. What if you actually resolve to live this way? What if with every person, in every situation, the script in your mind was do to others what you would have them do to you? What if we were all to live that way? I mean, talk about a counter-cultural community in this city. But the chances are, we won't actually do anything about this message We'll feel challenged, we'll be convicted or perhaps inspired in this moment, but then we'll just revert to how things were before. And I'll tell you why. Most of us have been conditioned by our individualistic, capitalistic society to believe at least two lies. The first lie is that the main point of life is to be happy. Honestly, 
the older I get, the more I've come to see is that actually we need meaning and purpose in life way more than we need happiness. Let's be honest, there's plenty of happiness to be found in the world. But you've got to realise Jesus isn't just another route to find happiness. In fact, he's called to take up our cross and follow him. Which on the surface doesn't sound very happy, does it? I tell you, there are way quicker ways to get happy than following Jesus. But not a single one of them will give you any permanent sense of meaning. You can make all the money in the world, get ahead in your career, have the perfect partner, drink the best coffee, wear the nicest clothes, have the most followers on social media, be the most popular person on your course, but still not have meaning in your life. You can have everything this city has to offer and still feel gnawingly empty. Now, without wishing to get too deep on you, sooner or later, you'll come to see that happiness is not the same thing as joy. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul speaks of knowing joy at one and the same time as being full of sorrow. In other words, he's getting at something here that transcends mere happiness. But the only way to experience this depth of joy is to live for what you were created for. The meaning, the purpose for which you were designed by God himself. To be with Jesus, to become more like him, to do the kind of stuff that he did. To love him with all your heart and to love your neighbour as yourself. Or as Jesus puts it here in this famous saying, to do to others what you would have them do to you. So that's the first line. That the most important thing is just to be happy. And I really don't think that's true. Second line is that in order to be happy, we need to look out for number one. You just need to put yourself first. I mean, you only live once, so be true to yourself. Deny yourself nothing. But again, in my admittedly limited experience, the people who live by that rule are some of the most unhappy, the most selfish, the most restless people I know. And the people who live by the golden rule and put others' happiness ahead of their own, well, they're some of the most joy-filled, at-peace people that I have ever met. You know, I can't help thinking that perhaps Jesus was on to something here. It's counterintuitive, and yet it is the most insightful and wise thing ever. As Jesus said all the time, the last will be first and the first will be last. The humble will be exalted, the proud will be cast down. It's the upside down way of the kingdom. The first you're like, really? And so you ignore it. And you chase after all this other stuff. But eventually, one day, you wake up to the fact that maybe Jesus was right all along. And so, I want to invite you to short-circuit that whole thing. 
and simply resolve today to live by the golden rule. Now, of course, you and I both know it's not quite as simple as that. This doesn't come easy, does it? We're going to need a bit of help to live this out. Sheer willpower will not cut it. But Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what we couldn't do by ourselves. In Luke's version of the preceding verses in Matthew 7 about asking, seeking, knocking, Luke concludes by saying, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So why not invite the Holy Spirit to bring the golden rule to mind every time it's necessary in the coming week. In conversation after conversation, in conflict after conflict, in moment after moment, won't you just slow down long enough to hear the Spirit's voice and then invite him to give you the power that you're going to need if you're going to die to your own personal happiness and your desire to look out for your own interests And instead, pour yourself out for the good of the people around you. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would more and more overflow through us in small creative acts of love and joy and peace towards all we come into contact with. And that we wouldn't settle for the meagre goal of living for our own personal happiness, but that we would discover in our sacrificial obedience to Jesus the greatest joy imaginable.